Uh, we're delighted to have Scott Hemingway with us today, and he's from Enderby, British Columbia, the beautiful province, which they says BC stands for bring cash, but uh, not sure about that. Through no fault of his own, he was born in San Andreas, California. Some of you will get that later. Um, he grew up in Oregon. He is an alum of Prairie College, met his wife, Raina, while here at Prairie. They've been married 28 years. They have two boys. Uh, one of them just got married this past Saturday, so it was a real celebration for them. Scott has been a board member since March of 2015. Scott, would you come? And as he comes, let's pray for him and ourselves. Father, we do thank you for uh, your servant, Scott, to be with us today. We thank you for safe journeys for him, and now we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through him to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts willing to obey your word to us this day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And I am, uh, as you can see, I am huge in stature, and I don't want you to go, was there somebody up there? I heard somebody speaking, I just didn't see him. So this is my way of kind of coming out and... Can I say that? Um, and you all see me. So, hey, let me tell you a little bit more about myself before I get into, uh, I, better, I better also start this timer because uh, I'll go over if I don't. So, I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. I, uh, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was born in San Andres, and I tell people I'm not a faulty guy. Uh, and I uh, moved to Oregon, spent a lot of my teen years in Oregon, and I heard about the school, Prairie Bible College. Actually, it's called back then Prairie Bible Institute. And I heard all kinds of stories about this school. However, there were pink and blue sidewalks. And, and when I came up here, it was all true. Uh, the girls sat on one side and the boys sat on another side. Chapel, we had to wear ties. And uh, we were a little bit more liberal when I did come because I was able to wear jeans to to, uh, to class, but they had to be black jeans or, or brown jeans. All those things are true. Uh, and I came to Prairie here, and I fell in love with, uh, with the school, and I actually fell in love with the prairies. Even though I live in BC, uh, last night I took a, I took a walk, and, and the sun was beautiful setting here, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's what I love about the prairies. You can see the sun setting. And where I live, uh, you see the sun going behind the mountains, and then it's gone. I want to tell you that I'm probably the least likely person to stand up here and talk to you. Partly because uh, growing up as a kid, when I was in, uh, when I was young, my mom knew that, that something wasn't right. Uh, and I went to school, and she really knew something wasn't right. And she kept telling the teachers, my son has a problem. Uh, my son can't read. My son needs help. And they kept saying, oh, it's okay. He's just slow. I know my son's slow. But uh, he is, he's got a problem. He can't read. And, and finally, in desperation, my, my, my parents literally, they literally moved from one state to another to, go to, to send me to a school so that I, I could get help. And it was there that what my mom suspected was wrong with me was true, that I was dyslexic. And I don't know if anybody's here. Anybody here dyslexic? Oh, yes, fellow brothers and sisters. Amen. We can talk later. 
Uh, you know, the, the worst thing you can do to a dyslexic person is tell them, okay, you have this course and you need to read this book. No matter of fact, you need to read three books and each of them are 500 pages and you need to, you need to somehow retain all that information. When I was in grade four, I somehow was able to read uh, at the level of kindergarten. That was kind of ABCs. That's what I was able to do in grade four. I could, I could, I could read the alphabet and that was it. Uh, I was really behind. So I kind of think that God has a great sense of humor, that he would say to me, Scott, I want you to go into the ministry where every week you are going to prepare at least a a uh, 1,500-word essay. Every week. You're going to write out a paper every week of the year. And you're going to read lots. And I think God has a great sense of humor, doesn't he? So what I really want to tell you is as I stand up here, I think I'm the least likely person and I want to tell you that what you see is what you get. I am, I am no one special. I serve in a church. Uh, I think that uh, some Sundays we top 200. Most Sundays we're about 160 people. Uh, and we're just us. We're just us. We just try to do life together. And I try to do it in a way that's real. When I was a kid growing up, I called it, uh, we had this, uh, what we called the miracle corner. Uh, and, uh, and we would be coming to church and there'd be fighting in the car. And as soon as we turned that corner into the church, it was like, oh, we are one big happy family. It stopped. There was no more arguing. There was no more fighting. And we'd go to church and we'd sit there and we would smile. And we would, you know, everything was all good. And we'd get back in the car and we'd turn that corner to go back home and boom, it erupted again. The miracle corner. I don't know if any of you ever had that. And so, so for me, as, I, as God called me into the pastor, to the pastor of church, I thought, man, it's got to be real. It's got to be real. And so I try to make it real. And there have been Sundays I've gotten up and I've told people, listen, I don't know if I can preach today. Honestly, I don't know if I can preach today. And I won't. And we need to pray. And you need to pray for me. And we'll stop and we will pray. And if I don't feel that God is giving me what I need, I won't. I won't preach. Because the truth is that life is not always good, is it? As much as we want life to be good all the time, life is not always good. Life stinks. And life is hard. And as a pastor, I can't expect that every Sunday I'm going to be able to step up in the pulpit and I'm going to be able to do it. And so I try and I do not fake it. So I say that to tell you that as I stand up here today, man, I'm spitless scared. You've got to be careful because I do spit. But I'm nervous. I'm speaking to all of you. I really have anything to say. And the truth is I don't have anything to say, but I do trust that God has something to say to all of us today. So now I've taken up too much of my time to get into my message. If you'll turn to Daniel. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. Lord, as we move into your scripture and we look at your scripture, I pray, Lord, that what we would discover and what we would know is you. Father, that what those here today will see and hear is you and not me. Lord, I, I thank you for the time we've been able to have in worshiping you through music. Desiring, God, that, that you are our heart's desire. Desiring, Lord, that nothing impedes us or gets in the way of us worshiping you. 
each and every day and each and every moment. Lord, teach us that we can worship you even in our pain and even in our crisis and even in our trials. We can still worship you as we come to you. So Lord, as I share these words, God, I say I am desperate for you. I am desperate for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I know one thing. Even though I don't know you, I do know this. I do know that each one of you, either right now or at some point in time in your life, has gone through a crisis. Isn't that true? Maybe your crisis is, is that uh, you've locked your keys in your car. Maybe that's your crisis. I actually did that once, and my son was still in the car uh, as a baby. Yes, I was that, that parent. Some of you, your crisis is that you've lost a family member to cancer. Some of you... You've lived in a crisis, and you're still trying to go through it, and you were abused as a child. Some of you is that you've come to school believing that God is going to provide for you, but really you wonder, where's the money going to come from? I'm here now, but I don't know where it's all going to come from. Some of you here maybe have had a child that has walked away from God. Some of you may be here, and you're struggling with chronic pain. And the doctors say you can't, they can't do anything for you. I don't care who you are today. I know that each one of you has either gone through a crisis or you're in a crisis. And I'm not to be a downer, but you will face a crisis. That's just a given. Because we live in a world that is a fallen world. And because of that, we will face these crises. So now the question is, is that, okay, that's going to happen. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to react to it? Are you going to worry? Or are you going to have a panic attack? Or are you going to turn to a drug of choice, like shopping, or gaming, or maybe drugs and alcohol, or pornography, or controlling and manipulating? What do you turn to in a moment of crisis in your life? You just want to curl up and not get out of bed. We all face crisis in our life. And when we look at Daniel, and we see what's taking place in Daniel, what we see here in Daniel chapter 2, is this man is facing a crisis. So let's just look at a couple of verses here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17. Well, I guess I just give you a little backstory. I probably know the story, but uh, chapter one, uh, Daniel's taken into exile. Uh, he says, hey, don't feed us what you're feeding everybody else. Uh, see what happens. And Daniel basically lives on a vegetarian diet. Uh, vegetarians out there, you love Daniel. Yes! I love that man. That's why I'm a vegetarian. Daniel was. Look what happened to him. Anyway, um, so Daniel does, you know, great and wonderful things, him and his buddies, uh, and uh, they're, they're, they're looked up to, they go along, and, and it's wonderful for, for him. So we come to chapter 2, and now we read in here that Debenkezer has had a dream. He's had this dream, and his, uh, 
these, uh, these, these guys that are the wise guys, he comes to him and he says, I am disturbed about this dream and I want you to help me out to understand this dream. And they say, hey, tell us a dream and we'll give you an interpretation. I think Daniel, he's starting to get wise to this and uh, yeah, you just want to feed me a bunch of baloney. So uh, no, I'm not going to tell you what my dream was. You tell me what my dream was, exact details and what the interpretation is. And they say no, they plead with him, and they, you know, it comes down to it that Nebuchadnezzar, he is done. He's finished. And he says, kill them all. Kill them all. So we come to chapter 17, or verse 17 of chapter 2, and Daniel finds out about this. And it says, uh, then Daniel went to his house, uh, made the matter, excuse me, I guess we have to back up before that. Uh, that's my dyslexic here. Uh, I get a little confused at times. And... Um, uh, so we'll pick it up in verse 14. Then Daniel replied uh, with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, uh, the king of captains, why is, why is there a decree of the kings so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time, that the time might be shown the interpretation to the king. Verse 17, then Daniel, he went to his friends, and he said, uh, seek mercy, verse 18, and he told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the, of the night. Then Daniel blessed God of the heavens. And we'll stop right there. So what does Daniel do? Daniel does this. Daniel hears about this crisis. And it is a crisis. I mean, if your life is in danger, is that not a crisis? His life is in danger, and he goes and he turns to his friends. And he says this. Pray. Pray. I like that, and I like this for this reason. I like the fact that he says to his friends, pray. What crisis are you in in your life? And do you turn to the people around you and say, pray? You know that Pepsi Max commercial that's about there years ago where the guys, you know, he's, uh, they, they, he's sawing a piece of wood and, and, and it flies back at him and he goes, I got this, and it hits him. Or he gets electrical. How come you guys are looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, he, he, he's trying to work on some electrical thing. He gets shocked and he flies back and he's, he's I got this. And that's really, I think, our, our mentality is, is that we've got this. Remember I told you that there was in my home, there was this miracle corner. We turned into the church and everything was okay. And we turned out of it and everything wasn't okay. The truth is everything wasn't okay. But the problem is, is, that, is that in our family, we couldn't come and say, listen, everything is not okay. <laughs> Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? God designed us for community. He designed you for community. And that means that in a crisis, we need to come in community and pray together in community. 
and say, Lord, help, reveal, show. You all live in community here. This is a big community. And in that, you pare down in small community. And because school has started, how many new students are here? Raise your hand if you're a new student. Come on, don't be shy. I'm up here. Bye-bye. Okay, good. Hey, you're all new, and you're getting to understand and know each other. You're getting to know new friends, and, and you create new community. And I tell you, community is important because we need to be praying in community. The first thing I want you to see here is that Daniel did not scheme. He did not plan. He did not orchestrate anything big. He simply said this, I need more time because I need to pray. I need to seek the face of God that his mercy would be upon us. I want to tell you, whatever crisis you face or whatever crisis you will face in your life, you need community to go through it. You need community. You need to be praying in community. And Daniel teaches us this here as he says, hey, I need more time and we need to pray. I love what Daniel does next. God answers his prayer and we read here, let's read these words of what he says in his prayer of blessing before God. And he says this, God answers and he says, bless the name of God uh, God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who, are, who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God the Father, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked you, for you have made known uh, to us the king's matter. What another great principle for us not to forget. We ask, we come, we seek the Lord, and God gives us an answer, and let us praise Him. Let us give Him glory. That's what He asks of us. That's what He asks of you. Give Him glory in all that you do. And there's nothing greater than doing that in community. Giving each other high fives, praising God. We've had several people in our church over the years that I've been there that have had cancer. And we have prayed for them. And some we have prayed and we have seen some healing take place. And others we have prayed and God's healing is that they have gone to be with Him in glory. Three times God has led us to do this one thing. Where we will commit to 31 days of prayer for that individual. And while people sign up, and those people that sign up agree that that day that they sign up, they will pray for one hour for that person. They can do it in their home. Most often they go to that person's house, they park their car outside of their house, and for an hour they pray for that person. And we say this. We say pray what the desire of our hearts are because that God wants to hear that. But we pray for God's will to be done. And that person will know and glorify God. What a fabulous thing as we get done with 31 days of prayer. You hear the whole church talking about it. The community's talking about it. And they're talking about it because that person has said, I was held up in prayer for 31 days. It has made a difference. I went into the hospital, have my operation, and I knew that I went in with being lifted up. Whether I was to make it out of that operation or not, I do not know. But I do know that my God is with me. Where I felt weak, those people held me up. And man, we praise God for that. 
and we thank the Lord for it. My point, if you don't hear anything else today, is that we need community in our prayer life. We need community in our prayer life. Hey, you know what I also think is kind of cool here? I kind of think what is cool is that, is that Nebuchadnezzar and all his cronies were all in the dark. They were all in the dark. But Daniel was in the light. We have a dark world out there. But do you realize that you and I stand in the light? You and I are in the light. We have that hope. Let me share this with you as well. About 12, no, sorry, 17 years ago, my sister phoned me up and said to me, Scott, my husband has cancer. He's got melanoma cancer. It's the second time. He had a mole on his ankle. They took it out. It was quite severe. Over 10 years later, it came back. And we began to pray. We began to lift it up to the Lord and pray. And I began to pray like everyone else, God, heal him. Because isn't that what we're supposed to pray? God, heal him. And I began to say, God, heal him. God, heal him. And we were all praying. The guy was 32 years old. He had three kids. They were married just over 10 years. And I wanted God desperately to heal my brother-in-law, Kevin. One day, as I was praying, God says to me, what if I don't heal him? And that is when I began to change my prayer and say, Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing? What are you doing in this? Are you going to heal him? I began to ask, Lord, not to heal him. I began to ask God, what are you up to? I believe without a doubt, and I've seen people healed. I remember a guy in our church who passed out in our church, and he's laying on the floor, and he is, his lips are turning blue. He is not breathing. The man is dying there. And two of us came, and we put our hands on him, and we began to pray, and we said, Lord, heal this man. Cause this man to breathe again. And just as we started to say that, and just as another man came up, they started giving him CPR, this man all of a sudden went, <gasps> and he started to breathe. Do I believe in healing? I believe God heals. I believe God does miracles. I have been with those people in the underground church in China, and they have told me stories of miracle after miracle after miracle that they have experienced. I believe in miracles, but I'm also a realist, and I do know that not everybody who has cancer is going to be healed. And it's not because they don't have enough faith. It just isn't what God is doing. So I prayed, and I said, God, what are you doing? And the Lord said to me, he is not going to be healed. I wrestled with God. I, I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, listen, I know you're God and I know you know all things. I literally said this to him. I said, God, just let me do this 
for one day. Just let me have the power to do this for one day because what you're saying is not what I want. And as I surrendered that to the Lord and I began to ask others to pray into this, and I began to ask God, Lord, I want you to be glorified. Show me how you can be glorified in this. I was able to sit with my brother-in-law and I said to him, what do you think? What's God saying to you? Do you believe you're going to be healed? And he looked at me and we began to weep and he said to me, Scott, no, I'm not. I know that and I don't know what to do. I know. And this man, you have to know, this man fought. This man worked, literally worked three weeks. He was working. Three weeks before he died, he was still at work working because he wanted to provide for his family. He was still fighting. He was still taking treatments. He was still doing everything because he wanted to live. And God said to him, no, you're not. And because I was willing to live, we sat, we wept together, we, we, we talked about it, and in that, it was a preparation for the whole family for this upcoming death. And when he died, we kept having to get a bigger and bigger venue for all the people that came and in that, we were able to tell people about Jesus, about this man's faith in Jesus. And several people came to know the Lord. I want to give you a definition of prayer and praying together. It comes from Oliver Price. And if there's a book that you should read, like you don't have enough to do already, Oliver Price's book, The Power of Praying Together, the Power of Praying Together, Oliver Price, his book, The Power of Praying Together, he says this. He says, he gives this definition of what it means to pray together. He says, we need to pray with Christ obviously present and actively in charge. Christ obviously present and actively in charge. Let me go back to, let me go back to Daniel in chapter 3. And let me share, if you look in there, I just want to, I'm not going to read it, but I want to share with you the, the mentality that was there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that I believe was there in chapter 2. Because when you read there, you see that they are actually believing and trusting God in this definition of praying with Christ, obviously present and actively in charge, because you know that their life is in danger, and they say to the king, listen, king, we know that God, we have, we do not doubt that God can save us from this fiery furnace. We do not doubt that at all. But those words are so sweet when it says, when he says in there, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. We will not give in to worshiping another God. Do you see in there that they, they believe full faith? As I believe full faith that God heals, and I've seen it, and I've been part of it. I've watched it in my church. But they're realists knowing that that might not be what God is up to. God might not be up to that. And I believe that when we pray and we pray in community, what we should be doing is saying, God, what are you up to in this crisis? What are you up to in this situation? What do you want to accomplish here today? What is it that you want to do? Instead of coming to God and saying, God, this is what you need to do, I think that we need to come to God and say, God, what do you want to do? That's what was happening here in the book of Daniel. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was what their heart was, is God, we know, God, that you can rescue us. 
But even if you don't, we're still going to worship you. We're still going to worship you. See, when I come and I pray, knowing that Christ is obviously present, I am praying to him, through him, and that he is actively in charge, it becomes a part where he is the head of all that I do, Colossians 2.10. He is the head of all that I do. He is in charge, not me. I do not dictate what he does. I know that, that we read, we can read verses where it talks about how God changed his mind. And we, 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 can, we can have the thought that if we pray hard enough, we can change God's mind. It's there. Did God change his mind? It says it did. But when I read about what Jesus talks about, and he is there, and he is just before the cross, what does he say? He says, Lord, not your will be done. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Not my will, but your will. You see, that's where Christ gives us the example that God is in charge. You and I are not in charge. He is in charge. And in a crisis, what I want to do, I come from a family of planners. Oh, man. My dad already asked me. He says, what are you doing October next year? I just saw him. He says, what are you doing October next year? I don't know. Well, we're going hunting. You going to come with us? Yeah, I'd like to, but I don't know. I mean, I come from family of a planners. We, we plan a year or two years in advance. So when I come to God, I want to plan it out for him. God, I've got a plan here. Let me just give you this plan. But I believe that Oliver Price is right when he says that what he's called us to do is come before him saying, Lord, you are here. We know you're here, and we want you to be in charge. So what are you doing? What are you up to? Dallas Willard says that God is always up to something, and he is. He's always up to something. Right now, he's up to something in your life. I want to know what he's up to. I don't come to tell him what he's up to. I come to find out what he's up to. When I read this story in Daniel, and I'll sum it up this way. First of all, what I love about Daniel is that Daniel does not scheme. He doesn't plan. He simply says one thing. I need more time because i got to seek my God. And he sees God for mercy. And in this case, God grants him what he, what he asked for. But I see that in the next chapter over, they understand that God doesn't always answer their prayers. But God is still always God. So I would encourage you that when a crisis, do not go about it alone. Gather people around you. I love what AJ had to say. She's, I think she's gone. I love what AJ had to say. We have a prayer group here. We have a prayer ministry that we will pray for you. I'll tell you, people, if you have something going on in your life, take advantage of that. Take advantage of it. If you have people that are seeking God in that way, you go. Do not let pride get in your way. Go and seek others to pray with you through that crisis. So gather people around. Pray. But pray not telling God what he needs to do. Pray asking God to show you what he is doing. And then trust that path that he gives you. My last illustration. I've got another buddy. 
I met him, and his wife had cancer, and she'd been battling for four years. And he started coming to our church. And I started meeting with Jesse, and I started praying, and we would pray. He'd call me, and he'd say, listen, things are getting tough. Things are getting hard. Will you come over, and we pray? And so we prayed. And I would say to Jesse, how are you doing? And he would say to me, God's got a plan. I said, yes, he does, Jesse. And things would get a little bit worse and a little bit more difficult. And, and, and I'd say, Jesse, let me, let's pray. And we would pray. And I'd say, how are you doing? And he says, God's got a plan. And time and time again, Jesse would tell me, God's got a plan. And I, one day I looked at him and I said, Jesse, are you just telling me that? Are you telling me that because that's a good Christian thing to say, that God's got a plan? I said to him, what if your wife is not healed? And he looked at me and he said, God's got a plan, Scott. I don't know what it is, but God's got a plan. I was with Jesse. I was with Helen. I was with their children when Helen took her last breath. I wept. I see Jesse. Saw him on Sunday. Said, Jesse, I need a hug. He's one of my big buddies. He's about six foot four. He grabs me, cracks my back, lifts me up. I said, God's got a plan. You bet he does. You bet he does. He said, I'm going to tell your story. I'm going to tell your story. What do you want me to tell them? God's got a plan. Do not try to figure it out, he told me. You tell him, do not try to plan his plan. Trust his plan. You may not see what it looks like at the beginning, but you trust him, you'll see it at the end. Every day, Jesse misses his wife. His kids miss their mom. But every day, they walk together in God's plan. You and I live in a culture and a society that wants the staple button. We want to press the button and it says, easy. But you and I know that it's not that way. In this world, there are going to be many troubles and trials. It's not easy. But trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Father, this morning as we have looked at this passage, and God, I don't know if I've done justice to it. Lord, I know that um, I've gone through hard things. I continue to go through hard things in my life. But Father, I do know that you, you know me. And you know each student, faculty here today. Father, I pray for those that are in the midst of a crisis right now. Whether it's personally about them, something that was totally out of their control that has affected them. Lord, whether it's someone's going through a crisis of 
a mom and dad breaking up, a family member who has cancer, a friend who has abandoned them, left them, a relationship with a girlfriend or boyfriend that has turned south, the stress of school, finances. Lord, I, I, I'm not certain what the crisis would be here. Some who are struggling with addictions and nobody knows about it. Lord, you have called us to do this Christian life in community. Lord, may we take an example of Daniel and go and run to others and say, pray, pray with me. And Lord, may we seek your face in a way in which we say, we know you're present, God, I believe that, and I want you to be actively in charge. Show me what you're up to. Reveal what you're up to. Lord, I know that's who you are. And I pray that over this student body, and I pray this over this school, Lord, that this, this here, that prayer will be known as a, as a place of prayer, a place that you come here, and not only do you, do you learn about God, but you interact with you, Lord, that we pray to you, that we know you because you know us. Lord, may there be great healing here in this school over this year. Not because people are doing it alone, but because they're doing it in community. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in our life. Amen.